Welcome to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branning, owner of the Unique Garden Center. Join us each week right here as Mike discusses gardening topics and takes your calls and questions. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, here's your host, Mike Branning. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. All right, what do you got lined up for us today? So, I think this morning we'll... There's a really cool plant, and uh, it's not a very you know well-known plant, uh, but it works out really well in a xeriscape landscape, and we're going to talk about that. And then this time of year, people are looking at planting trees, uh, whether they need you know shade for the front of the house or other, some other part of the house, and we're going to talk about a good selection of trees to to pull from. And there's a couple that are commonly used, uh, but they both have issues, and we're going to talk about that as well. And um, so that should take up the half hour, I think, and get a few callers in, in between. All right, and just as a reminder, that call-in number is 760-366-8471, and you can call in with any and all your gardening questions. Okay, uh, to begin, there's a plant called Apache Plume, has a cool name too, and uh, it's a relatively large shrub. It's going to get four to five feet high, and between five and six feet wide, and it gets a really just a real pristine white blossom about the size of a quarter, and then when it's in full swing, you're going to have a combination of these really uh, large, you know, these white, pure white flowers. And then the plume, where well, it gets the name Apache Plume, is it's kind of a tannish pink plume. So you have white blossoms and you have the tannish pink uh, plume at the same time. And it's really a cool plant. And probably one of the better places to see one, <coughs> pardon me, is the Social Security building along the highway at Palm Avenue. We planted a couple there. And then also... There's a lot of them planted in front of the Home Depot. And the only bummer about that part area is that uh, it's a really good plant if it's planted individually. And that way you can really get the real beauty of the plant and it really, you know, jumps out at you. When you use it as a mass planting, um, it, you kind of lose that individual character. And sadly, you know, the gardeners over there they round them off into round balls. And so you've got all these, what could be a really cool plant, but they're all rounded off into balls. So a lot of times you don't really see the bloom and the plume um, because they're being rounded off into balls, which is a pretty common gardener mistake. And, uh, and so, but in front of the Social Security building, you've got one that you can, a couple that you can take a look at, but it's a really cool plant. Uh, it will go semi-deciduous during the winter, so keep that in mind. Uh, but it's, uh, it would add a lot of character to a xeriscape landscape if you have that kind of a design going on for you. I've never heard of the Apache Plume before. I'm going to have to head by the Social Security Building and check it out. Yeah. Yeah, they have a couple over there that uh, are grown enough to where they really stand out and you can really see what they look like. And uh, and get a good idea whether it would work in your yard or not. But yeah, cool plant though. Nice. So, and then uh, secondly, 
again, as we mentioned briefly just a few minutes ago, the uh, this time of year, a lot of people get in the uh, mood of planting a tree, and uh, invariably, you know, if you still live in an area where you have a septic system, then be sure that you're aware before you plant the tree where your septic and your leach line are because trees and leach lines don't get along at all. And the tree's totally digging on it because it can tap into the leach line and pull water all the time. So the tree's a happy camper, but, uh, you know, it can the roots can grow into the leach line and they can do two things or both. They can grow down the leach line into the tank and plug it up or it can grow back toward the, the toilet and plug it up that way as well. So you definitely want to know where your leach line is. That way you don't plant near it. And, um, and, once you, and if you do, if it's a situation where the tree has to go there for it to work with what you want to do, and you do have a leach line there, what you can do is you don't have to do it right away because the tree, when it first goes in, you have the root ball that it came out of the can with, so it's not going to be an issue right away. But after a couple of years, depending upon the proximity of the leech line in the tree, it can be an issue. And what you can do is you can cut into the, the leech line out of the house and put in a T with a riser and bring the riser up to the top of the ground with a cap. And about twice a year, you can put some copper sulfate down, just take the cap off and put some copper sulfate down the sleeve and then as the water leaves the house and goes past the, 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 that where the tea is, then it'll take the copper sulfate down with it. And by doing that, anything that grows root-wise, anything that grows root-wise into the leach line will be burned out. So that way you wouldn't have the clogging from the roots. Huh. And so that's something that you can think about. And the thing is that when you put the tea in, don't put the tea before the septic tank because if it does that then the copper sulfate will get over diluted in the septic tank and it won't have the same potency as if you have it installed after the the septic tank that way as the water is leaving the tank then it'll carry the copper sulfate down the leach line and take care of the roots that way wow i had no idea i didn't even consider that being a problem when i planted my tree in my front yard Luckily, it hasn't caused us any problems, but that's something I didn't yeah. think. Yeah, well, you know, people don't think of that. They just, you know, they have on their mind where they need the tree to do what, whether it's shade or uh, wind protection or aesthetics or whatever, and that's all they're thinking about, and they don't think about the septic tank and the leach line. And that's a, a pretty common issue, actually. And uh, so once you have that dialed in, then if you still want to have a tree there, um, I know, and when you do plant a tree, keep in mind how large the tree is going to grow. I've seen so many trees around town, uh, especially mulberries, uh, where people will buy them and they're a small tree when they put them in. They're either a 5 or 15 gallon, and they plant them about anywhere from 5 to 10 feet in front of the house. And at the time when the tree goes in, it looks fine. But as that tree grows, it's going to get anywhere from 20 to 25 feet high and wide. 
And then all of a sudden, it's rubbing on the, the fascia board and it's rubbing on the roof of the house. And you got to get up there and chop it back. And then you got to try and make the tree fit because it should have been out another, you know, 10, 15 feet at least. Right. Those mulberry trees get huge. Yeah. Yeah. The, they have a couple down at um, Sky Park in Twin M Palms. Right. The Sky High Park, I think what it's called. And those trees are massive. Right. I love those oh, yeah. mulberry trees. Yeah. And uh, so definitely when you plant the tree, know what the tree is going to develop into as far as height and width. And that way you can make the right selection for that area. Because a lot of times people need a tree, but they don't need a tree that's going to be 20 to 25 feet high and wide. And so just by shopping around or asking questions, uh, then you can pick out the right tree for the area. And then it'll be a, a good fit. And you don't have to... And then. Again, you can plant it at the right closest to the house or wherever it's going to go to, and then it's a win-win. Then you just get back, water it, and enjoy the tree. What are some other trees that do well out here? I know the mulberries do really good, mesquite, palo verde. What other trees do good? Yeah. Well, you know, again, with our water situation, even though we had a really good water year this year, but that's not going to satisfy the drought in future years uh, just because the population is so large in California that – the water use is just extremely high. So mesquites are probably one of the better trees to go with. And then you have, like you mentioned, the Palo Verde. They do very well. And then you also have the Desert Willow, <coughs> which is also a dative. They're not going to get as big as the mesquite or the Palo Verde, but they do very well. And the, and the cool thing about the Desert Willow is it'll give you color from late spring, early summer, all the way into fall. So you get a lot of color that way, too. Uh, another good evergreen tree is a shoestring acacia. And they're going to get roughly about uh, 20 feet high and about 15 feet wide. And they're semi-pendulous. They, uh, is this isn't a really heavy, dense, thick tree, but it's, uh, it will provide shade. And it uh, makes for a nice aesthetic specimen in the front yard. And in the springtime, it will get a kind of a buttony yellow flower, uh, which is really nice. And that's a good selection. Uh, Chinese pistachio, even though they're related to this pistachio tree, which is the nut tree, but these are non-fruiting. And this is a cool tree because in the uh, it has a kind of a medium green leaf. And in the fall, the leaves turn a bright orange red. So if you that like that fall color, that's a really good tree to go with. And, of course, you have pine trees. Pines do very well. And when you, if you do make a selection on a pine, uh, because pines tend to lean with the wind, especially the Aleppos. So if you're in an area that is fairly windy, you may want to choose the Russian pine over the Aleppo pine because the Russians won't tend to lean like the Aleppos. And they kind of... Because basically they don't fight the wind, so they get this windswept look where they kind of thin on the branch on one side and heavy on the other side, on the downward side, and then it is really a good-looking tree, and uh, it's not really going to give you what you're looking for aesthetic-wise or shade-wise because they tend to get one-sided. If wind isn't really, I mean, you can have wind wherever you're at, but some areas are just windier than others. So if it's in a really abnormally windy area of the basin then I would choose the Russian pine over the Aleppo. Um, 
And if you're looking for something evergreen, you have the California pepper, and they do very well. And they're going to get, again, about 20 by 20. And they tend to be kind of messy, so keep that in mind. Whenever you have an evergreen tree, they're evergreen, which is what you want. But even though they're evergreen, they're going to carry a degree of mess. And and uh, definitely the California peppers can be messy. And they will get a white flower with a cluster of red berries. And then when the red berries drop, that's just an added mess right there. Um, so keep that in mind. Uh, two trees that are very common in the area, and both I would highly recommend that you, you know, give a second thought about planting would be the fruitless mulberry and the eucalyptus. Because the mulberry, over the last few years, there's a fungal disease that is well-rooted in the Morongo Basin now that attacks the mulberry. And, uh, and it's an airborne fungal condition, so your neighbor down the road can have one or the neighbor down the street or next door or not even a neighbor at all. And, but because the fungal spores become airborne, then they can attach themselves to the leaves just by being blown in the wind. And you'll know that you have this problem. Usually the first couple years you have it, uh, you don't really notice it, but you do notice that the, the tree isn't as full as it used to be, even though it's still being watered and maintained, but the tree has fewer leaves and the leaves are smaller. And if you have that going on and the care for the tree hasn't changed any, there's a good chance that you may have this fungal condition. And what you can do is to nip it in the bud early would be to use a systemic fungicide and you spray the leaves of the tree with the fungicide and then it'll be absorbed through the leaf. That's why you want to be sure to buy a systemic fungicide because it'll be absorbed by the leaf and then take it into the plant system and work that way. If the disease has progressed to the point to where you're getting the outer bark is beginning to split and crack open and when it peels back, you have this black powder inside, uh, that's the mature state of that fungal condition. And when, this, when the bark splits and you have this black powdery uh, fungal condition going on, that's what becomes airborne and will blow in the wind and go from tree to tree. So if you do have that already happening, then what you want to do is use the, the systemic fungicide first and spray the foliage and then follow up with a mixture of baking soda and food-grade peroxide and spray just the wood and the trunk areas that are affected where it's split open and you see the black powder and spray just those areas. And for that, you would use five tablespoons of baking soda to five tablespoons of uh, 3% hydrogen peroxide to a gallon of water. And then you'd spray just the wood. But again, spray the foliage first so that way you're not going to be washing off the, the peroxide when you, when you spray the, and treat the trunk and the branching. Wow, I had no idea that that was an issue. Yeah, there. yeah, it's big time. And wow. it's, it's getting worse all the time. Really? And I have seen this, you know, it's rare, but I have seen it 
uh, transfer over to mimosa trees um, and also the purple leaf flowering plum. I've only seen a couple of cases of that, uh, which I was kind of shocked when I first saw it. Uh, but the primary target is going to be the non-fruiting mulberry, but it can spread to the other trees as well. So if you have any of those other trees, you know, on your property, then just give them a visual check and view it. And if you see that going on, then you know what to do to take care of it. And even if you do have it, if you get on a good spraying program, you can save the tree, um, which is the bottom line. But as far as planting a new tree, because that disease is so well-rooted in the area, there's so many other tree choices that you can use that wouldn't have that issue that I would definitely recommend one of the other trees over the mulberry just because of that issue. And then the second tree being the eucalyptus, uh, people like them because they grow fast, they're evergreen. Um, and eucalyptus, if you haven't had one before, when they're a mature tree, they are extremely messy as far as dropping leaves. Again, they're evergreen, but even though they're evergreen, they drop a huge amount of uh, leaf, which makes a big mess. Uh, but the reason I'm recommending an alternate tree versus planting a eucalyptus is because they get an insect called Lerp psyllid. And you'll know that if you have it, because if you look at the leaf, there'll be a crystallized uh, dot on the, you know, actually a series of dots on the foliage. And you're going to be looking at it thinking, what are all these crystallized dots all over the tree? And that's the telltale indicator that you have lerp psyllid. And if left untreated, that will eventually cause the tree's demise. And you can spray for it. Uh, you can use Bayer Tree and Shrub, which will do a good job of eradicating the problem. The only negative thing with using a, the Bayer Tree and Shrub is it's just a really nasty insecticide. So even though it can be used to save the tree... When eucalyptus are in bloom, you know, bees and other insects are all over them. And when you use the systemic insecticide, the bear tree and shrub, which will last up to one year, then you're going to be poisoning everything good and bad. And so that's the bummer about using that insecticide is that it has, so it has such a uh, crossover into the negative that... Uh, you know, I only recommend it when you have absolutely no other choice. And so if by using a different tree selection, because this insect only attacks eucalyptus, that's it. Hmm. And so there's so many other choices you can make without having to go to that tree. And so you're not going to have the mesh. You're not going to have the lipocillid. You're not going to be poisoning the environment and the bees and everything else. So I would highly recommend making another choice over eucalyptus. All right, and just as a reminder, folks, that call-in number is 760-366-8471, and you can call in with any and all your gardening questions. <laughs> oh, I thought we had a caller. Okay. Um, so those are, you know, some really, and there are other trees. There's another, it's a shrub by nature, but it gets to about 15 feet tall. So it's called a blue chase or a vitex. And it gets a, a blue, kind of a spike-type 
blossom from late spring into fall. And again, it's only going to get about 15 feet tall at the very most. But uh, And you can grow that either as a shrub, if you want it just by nature, it's a shrub. If you want to make it into a multi-trunk tree or a single trunk tree, you can do that with some selective pruning. And if you want to see a nice multi-trunk in front of the High Desert Star building, we planted a couple in there probably 20 years ago. And, uh, and that will give you a good idea what they look like. And, uh, and they're getting ready to bloom here about another, well, it's, we got a little bit of a delay, so it'll be about another month, and they'll be in bloom. But again, they get a really pretty uh, blue blossom, which is really nice. And so if you need the height, but you don't need a full-on tree, you don't need a full-on shade tree, but you need some height and for accent and, and you like to have some color, uh, that would be a good choice. And then you also have the crepe myrtle, which again, by nature, is a bush. But they can be grown into either a multi-trunk tree or a single-trunk tree. And again, they're not going to get huge, but they will give you height, and they'll give you a lot of summer color. They're going to bloom in, in white and pink and red and purple, lavender, and they come in a pink and white variegated. So they come in a variety of colors, and they're very showy when they come into bloom. And that would be a really nice choice. And then uh, the, the last tree I wanted to bring up, again, if you don't need a really large tree, would be the flowering purple leaf plum. It's going to have that purple leaf from spring through fall. They go dormant during the winter. And then in the springtime, before they leaf out, they're going to come out with a uh, pinkish-white blossom all over the tree, which is really nice. And it kind of tells you spring's on its way. And... Uh, Again, they're only going to get around 10 to 12 feet high, so it's not a very large tree. Um, But again, depending upon the area in your yard where you need some height, that might be a good choice of a tree because, you know, if you have a lot of greenery and other green shrubs around, then that purple leaf will be a good contrast with everything else. And, uh, And then again, you know, in this early spring, when things are either dormant or things that might stay evergreen, but they're not blooming, they're just green, then having that bloom in the springtime could be an added bonus as well. Nice. I don't think I've seen those trees around. I'm going to have to check that out. So, yeah, they're fairly common. Uh, Nothing like the mulberry or the mesquites, but but they're definitely around town. Um, Yeah, so those are some really good selections and something that you can think about. And... If you wanted to plant a tree other than those, I know people still, you know, they live down below or they're, they're used to seeing trees or they see, like right now, jacarandas are in bloom in the low desert. And, uh, and so people like that purple flower that they get. And um, so they'll plant, you know, a jacaranda and they freeze in the winter. So a lot of trees will do really well, but they don't handle the winter. So depending upon where you live within the basin, uh, these are tried and true, and they'll work out really well. And this should be enough of a diversity of trees to meet whatever you need to try to achieve in your yard. And a question. Do, could you plant potentially like a native sycamore or like a cottonwood in your property as well? Well, you know, cottonwoods used to be, hands down, the most sought-after tree in the Morongo Basin because everybody wanted a shade 
yesterday. And so they would plant a cottonwood, and in doing so, I mean, as long as the cottonwood is given water, then they're going to grow three or four feet a year, um, sometimes even more. So they gave you shade really quick, and they were very, very popular. And But over the years, because of the price of water and people just doing the right thing and not wanting to waste water, they've lost their popularity, so they're rarely ever used anymore. Um because you can't overwater a cottonwood because they naturally are referred to as a riparian plant. And what that means is that they live at or near a body of water. So they do very, very well uh, as long as they have wet feet. And But because of, again, you know, because of the cost of water and uh, water issues in California, they very much have dropped down in demand. And sycamores do really well. Again, they like water. They're not drought tolerant, um, and they have a very large leaf. And so during the summertime, you have to give them extra water because they sweat a lot. You know, just like people, you know, tend to sweat. If you're not a if you're not a heavy sweater, you still will secrete water through your pores, even though you may not be all wet under the arms and your back and chest and everything. But your body still loses water when it's hot. Because that's the body's way of cooling down. So people perspire and plants transpirate. But bottom line is it's the very same thing. And so the larger the leaf, then on a hot day, the more that leaf is going to transpirate because it's, it's a larger leaf. And if they don't get the water needs met, if, they have, if their water loss through transpiration is greater than the water intake, then you're gonna the leaves are gonna brown out and burn around the edges, and sometimes it could be half the leaf will turn brown because they're not getting their the water needs met. So will they grow here? The answer is yes, <clears throat> if they have enough water. Okay, so not popular right now due to all the situations that are going on. I would say, given the list I just gave you, um, that should give you enough diversity without having to deal with a a high water use tree or something that, that's going to have other potential issues. Right. You gave an extensive list on trees that do well out here. So, and, you know, the one I didn't mention was the mimosa. And uh, that's uh, that only gets around 15 feet, but it gets a pink blossom during the summertime. And it's very pretty. Nice. It has a Jack Randall-like leaf, but it gets a pink blossom. And they're cold tolerant, and they would do very well. So that'd be another option you can look at. Nice. Going to have to check that out. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for stopping by, Thank Mike. you, Mitch. Always great to talk to you. Have a great day, man. All right. Everyone have a great day out there. Uh-huh.